Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music year. I am your host, Hillary Jones. So, Nam made the call. It's going to be virtual this year. Drama. Uh, <laughs> I'm sad to hear about that. It's 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 a bummer. Uh, this year was my first year attending, and I got to meet, like, so many awesome folks. But here we are, right? That's just where we're at. Fine. It'll be it'll be fine. Folks are we're going to make it work. It'll be great. Um, if you're new to the podcast, you can pop back to episode three where I interviewed just like, I don't know, a million people, maybe 30. I don't know. 30 people at NAM, And it was like a mix of companies and attendees. And um, everybody talked about their thoughts around gender and gear. And yeah, it was it was really good. So anyway, uh, this brings me directly to today's interview, which is with Penny Haas, who I first met at NAM in January. And Penny is the chief of operations of Reverend Guitars, and she is a delight, which is why I wanted to bring her on the show uh, to get a chance to talk to her a little bit more and talk about her experience with Reverend and, you know, as she will describe, she's mostly a pianist by training. Um, she also plays guitar. And she previously played in uh, Polka Floyd with her husband, uh, who is also Reverend's CEO, Ken Haas. And yes, Polka Floyd is exactly what it sounds like. She'll tell you a little bit more about that. If you are unfamiliar with Reverend guitars generally, they are beautiful and they're really kind of unique instruments. So I would definitely have a look in the show notes for a link to more about Reverend. And I am still lusting after one of their short scale bases. Hopefully one day I will bring one home with me. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it's on the list. And as a quick note, our interview was back in May. So for any COVID-related references, that's that's what was happening. We didn't talk about it for too long, but it did come up. And if you want to follow Midriff between episodes, you can do so on Instagram and Facebook and in my email newsletter. All of those are in the show notes. And after our interview, I'm going to talk a little bit about the importance of psychological safety and trust in workplaces and then like how that connects to tough com conversations that folks have around gender and diversity issues. All right, cool. Here is my interview with Penny. Penny, welcome to Midriff. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for being here on yeah, this uh, beautiful May day. And by beautiful, I mean, the world is slightly, slowly burning and uh, falling apart. But, Crazy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's wild. Uh, it's it's a weird, weird place we're in right now. But hopefully, you know, by the time this actually gets released, things have met miraculously gotten better. We'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. So I want to uh, ask you to maybe introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, uh, and a little bit about your background and individually and with music. My name's Penny Haas. She, her. I am the COO of Reverend Guitars. I own the company with my husband. We bought the company like 10 years ago from the founder, and it's been a wild ride ever since. I started playing piano when I was six, and I kind of don't remember not playing piano and have played all my life mm. professionally and not professionally and those sorts of things. I dabble a little in the guitar, but mostly it's piano. What was your training on piano? 
Well, I mean, I went the regular lesson route, yeah. you know, as a kid. And then I sort of dropped it for a while when I was in my late teens. And then mm-hmm. I picked it up again, you know, as an adult, you know, just the regular, I don't know, one-on-one with a teacher yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't, I, I, I know I took piano lessons for like a year in like sixth grade and mm-hmm. that's, that's my only experience with lessons. It was very brief. Um, and I know some people are like, I did Suzuki method or whatever. I don't know. I don't really know what a lot of the different methodologies are. Yeah. But, yeah. But standard. I, I, I don't know what the methodology was either now that, I mean, I can pick out the books from the, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I go into a music store. I'm like, oh yeah, I did that one and that one right, and that one right, and that right. one. But, right. Where I'm yeah. like, oh, that's Mel Bay. I did the Mel Bay books or whatever when yeah. I was with yeah. guitar. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. That's funny. Did you, so you started on a regular standard piano yeah. and then you, oh, yeah. did, when you were playing live more, what was your live setup? Uh, I have a Korg SV-173 mm-hmm. that I love. I just, it's, Lots of piano and organ tones, but that's it. You don't sound like little birds. You don't sound like people <laughs> singing. Alien. You're, just, you're right. Yeah. Right. I just needed to sound like piano and it's got weighted keys, which is important Ooh. to me. Yeah, that's nice. So, uh, did you use like a amp that like a particular amp that you would use when you're playing live? And, and yeah, do you want to explain a little bit about your background with your live performance stuff too for folks? My husband and I had a band together for like 12 years called the Polka Floyd Show. Pink Floyd done polka style sounds ridiculous. It is ridiculous, <laughs> but it was fun. And we would go to like Oktoberfests and things like that all over the place. And he's still doing it with other people, but it just, the business got more and more busy and bigger and my kids got bigger and more and more busy and it was just like too much. Yeah. So. Yeah. That as but, a Midwesterner, I feel very strongly that that is such like, like it feels very deeply a particularly Midwestern experience <laughs> to have created a band like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we, and we played in St. Louis and Chicago and Pennsylvania and sort of, you know, mm-hmm, all over the mm-hmm. place. It was fun, but I played through a Reverend Hellhound mm. combo, yeah. which is a guitar amp, but like I sort of wanted, I was going for that Rhodes piano yeah. style, which is sort of like a, the guitar of pianos. Mm-hmm. So that, amp lend itself to that tone yeah that's that's smart it seems like that makes a lot of sense for doing polka as well (laughs) yeah for some reason i don't know why (laughs) mentally it it makes sense in my mind (laughs) yeah okay good good. uh cool so so are you so when you're playing now you said you're spending a lot more time obviously you're doing a lot more work and you're spending more time you have with your kids and you said your one of your kids just graduated she did so awesome congratulations thank you is she your oldest she is well she's my oldest ken has two from Mm -hmm. his first marriage and then we had two together and they they blended amazingly well they're a team that's the four of them are a team so she's not the oldest but she's the oldest in our household on the regular yeah Yeah, so that's obviously four kids is a ton of work so and i feel like that's a very specific situation i think (laughs) uh where you know you're responsible then for for all of that piece of the parenting and then all of the additional work stuff and everything. And I think that's I think it's a common thing for parents generally to like kind of end up stepping back a little bit. But it's interesting, Mm -hmm. the dynamic, I think, oftentimes where women are more responsible for for the, the parenting. Yeah. And that's true. We have a pretty. Yeah. 50 50 household. But 
Ken tends to be more of a workaholic than mm-hmm. I do, just in general. So I end up just automatically being the person to drive to the lessons. Yeah. And, not you know, not cetera, calling Ken out at all. So just because he's... <laughs> yeah, no, I this know is a not. general phenomenon. I know yeah. you're not. But yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it is. Yeah. I just feel like it's interesting to see how that that plays out. Like how for musicians in particular, um, like weighing how that happens is is so fascinating to me. And honestly, when they were smaller, it was easier because I could just be like, mm. take them over to their grandparents' house and put them there, and then they'll play there for an evening right. or a weekend or whatever, you know. But now they've got instrument lessons and they're in theater and they yeah. you know they've got this and that and this and that <laughs> a lot of driving uh, and managing that yeah so talking about your role so you're coo yes for folks who don't know what that is <laughs> can you explain a little bit about what that actually means and then like what your day-to-day kind of looks like chief operations officer is the is what coo stands for and really for me i do i do this all the social media the marketing i me and Jeff, Jeff went here, team up and do the marketing together. And then if there's anything like legal compliance, safety, all those sorts of things, that's my area. I sort of weed through all of that government stuff, (laughs) Uh you know, to like figure out what we're supposed to do. And I'm the one who, so that's sort of my role. I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but that's yeah, I mean, I feel like the CEO, the CEO looks a little bit different in every company, yeah, too. Yeah, it does. And so it could kind of, in some ways, it can be a catch-all, which is also kind of why I wanted you to yeah. explain it a little bit. But yeah, I feel and like it is operation, Operations looks different for everybody, right, right? Right, But yeah, the social media thing, too, is like interesting because sometimes that gets parsed out in different places. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you never know how, how all that's going to work out. So day-to-day, then, what are you doing your actual day? Well, I come pre-quarantine. in... Pre-quarantine. Yeah, pre-quarantine. <laughs> well, I'm back now, so... Okay. um, Okay. I come in, usually I do social media posts everywhere. And then I work on, I'm always working on like the next thing, what we're going to be doing right now. We're building a new video studio. Um, Oh, cool. The room is there. We're just putting in the equipment and Jeff's Mm -hmm. really handling that, but I'm sort of organizing what we're going to do. Are we going to do new stuff? Are we going to do, you know, do we have things planned out for Facebook live for the next several weeks so that we can sort of make it more and so anyway, there's always some sort of project like that going on. And then every day is a little different. So sometimes I'm checking in with like the NAM issues and advocacy page to see if there's, do I need to do something else about Prop 65 or CITES or, you know, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, by the time I do all that, then it's time to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. But yeah, are you a person who thrives on that? Like doing a little bit of different stuff every day? Oh, yeah. Or is oh, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. If I did the same thing all day, every day, I would be unhappy. Yeah, it's I think it's hard to and or some people are like, oh, I have to I have to like do this consistent thing. And other people are like, my brain will turn to mush unless I'm doing like 8000 different things. Right, right. So you'd said that you are back in the office post coronavirus. Yeah. Yep. So what were you all doing during that time period when you were back home? How has that all affected you? We were really at home for like a month, mm-hmm. like strictly. And then again, Ken's a workaholic. He came back in <laughs> here. He was coming in on the weekends and we had a guy here during the week, um, just sort of getting the mail and accepting packages. And so, you know what I mean? Just making sure everything yeah. sort of didn't fall apart. And then Ken would come in on the weekends and do his stuff. And then when the things started easing up, he came in to kind of transition and I was still working from home. 
because the social mm-hmm. media, the marketing, all that stuff can really be done from anywhere. Right. So, and then I was also kind of motivating my kids to keep up with their school studies and it was a whole thing. Yeah, that's real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So as far as thinking about your personal experience with regard to gender and identities and things like that mm-hmm. in, in music, like how have you seen that play out for you individually in either in music generally or in the music your industry? I think things have gotten a lot better, a lot more open and accepting over the last mm-hmm. few years. When I started doing this, I started just going to guitar shows and NAM and stuff like that as booth staff with the, Mm -hmm. I work for the founder and people would like literally come up to me and say, oh no, I want to talk to the man who knows what's going on, you know? And there were maybe 10 women on the NAM show floor. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. And Mm -hmm. now that happens so much less frequently and, and it's nice. And then you see people who are. Maybe their gender is identifies differently than mine does or, or whatever, but it's sort of everybody's accepted now. And it, I, I, I hate to say it like that because that's, I know people are struggling. I, I, you're, I, for but, people who can't say there, there are air quotes happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, it, you know, there's so much less judgment. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way, what I'm trying to say. And s- people are mm-hmm. more open to like, maybe that person does know something, even though they don't look like or identify as or whatever, what you traditionally think. Right. So there's, there's less like presumption of whatever prejudgment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So when was the first time you went to NAM? would you say? 2000. And you would say that like just over the last few years, really, that's been a big jump? Really? uh, Yeah. A huge jump over the last few years. I mean, things have changed radically over the last few, just in society, things have changed radically. Yeah. So do you think you think it's like a cultural thing overall or is it something that NAM has been particularly working for or the industry as a whole is sort of just seeing or how are you reading that? I think it's generational. I think mm-hmm. it's as more of these young people come in and the younger generation people just don't seem to be as hung up on things as some of the older generations are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's fair. I don't know if that's why, but that's what it seems like, you know, and, yeah. and the more young people we talk to, the more they're just rolling with whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that there is that openness that that a lot of younger folks like there's, you know, seeing the fluidity of gender and like, just like growing up with that as the reality, the binary issue is not, uh, not as strong in their upbringing. So yeah, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As far as like your personal experiences, like with like buying gear, Mm -hmm. do you have any like best or worst experiences? I do have one story. Okay. Before we were launching the 12 string, it was still sort of in design phase. Mm-hmm. Ken and I went into a store in, in another city and he was like, look, I'm going to show you what other companies do. And mm-hmm. I was like, cool. So we're picking things up and trying them out. And, da, da, da. and I had another company's guitar in my hand and some guy who worked at that store came up to us and looked at Ken and said, is that the one she likes? And he was like, Penny, I mean, go ahead. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, it's nice. Da, da, da. And he was like, did she see the blah, blah, blah? Did she see all these features? Did she, you know, to Ken? And Ken kept <laughs> directing him back to me. And eventually I pulled out my card and handed it to him. And then he stopped doing that. But it was, that shouldn't happen. I was the one holding the guitar. I mean, I wasn't going to buy it, but I just was the one holding the guitar. 
It was weird. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's it's like if you go into a restaurant and you're a, a waiter and asking the man on the date and saying, like, what would she like to eat? Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. That's wild. Yeah. Wait, how long ago was that? Probably 2012, 2013. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not long ago enough, you know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Around the industry more broadly, then, mm -hmm. what have you seen in the industry more generally? What what has been working well or not working well with regard to gender and diversity? I think brands are being more inclusive in the in who they portray playing mm -hmm. their gear, which I think is important. I think the media is is starting to portray a variety of people, but they're not there yet. Mm -hmm. But I wish there was more of that than just, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan all the time. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Wait a minute. There's other guitarists. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Did you know he plays 13s? <laughs> right. That means he's a man. Right. Sorry. I Jesus. Just, every time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so trying to like branch out a bit. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I don't know. I like, I'm just seeing different people represented and I think it's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think that takes to make that happen? Well, it's like a combination of things, I think, because mm -hmm. we need to amplify the people that all kinds of people that are playing guitar. But at the same time, we need to realize that the guitar was sold to this one particular group of people for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be hard to find other kinds of people, you know, I, they were, it was sold to white men mm -hmm. of a certain class and a certain stage in life for a long time. And mm -hmm. they should still be included, but then, you know, I see what you're, what you're saying for sure. You're not going to find very many 50 year old trans people of color playing guitar mm -hmm. just because that wasn't the audience that was, it was directed at. Then you might find somebody mm -hmm. who's 23 who is a trans person of color playing guitar, but it's just, it's going to take a while. Yeah. So some of, some of it is that like folks have a harder time finding people that they're wanting to feature. Mm -hmm. it, it just takes more work, work kind of. Yeah. Kind of. You just have to keep your eyes open. I think at least yeah. that's been my and, experience. I just, you know. And, and so what does that look like for you if you're trying to do that? Like when you're doing social media or something like that? Well, I mean, people tag us all day long, you know, and yeah. they, Instagram posts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I just try to be aware that not everything I'm sharing is one particular thing. Like, yeah. And trying to just try not to be repetitive, you mm -hmm. know, and then that seems to be how I handle it from a social media perspective. Just being, being attentive, being to attentive. It. Yeah. 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 And then as far as like the, the marketing more broadly, what does that look like? Cause it's like one, it's one thing if people are tagging you, but how do you approach it when it's like more general marketing? It, it seems like, the artist thing is a double-edged sword because we mm -hmm. have, we try to promote as many artists as possible. And mm -hmm. even if they're just, you know, people driving around in vans and, you know, playing shows for 50 bucks and that sort of thing. Yep. And we try to like be as open and as, and as accepting as possible and treat everybody with mm -hmm. respect. Some of the artists that we have as our signature artists, we have Michelle and Deggio Cello, first mm -hmm. of all, who is just amazing. Right. And so we try to same kind of thing, try to be mindful and push the people that are trying to make it not all look the same all the time, all day long, you know? Yeah. But on the other hand, we have this philosophy that we don't go to them. We have them come to us. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
when we have an artist become an endorser, we don't seek out endorsers. They come to us because when we go seek them out, usually it doesn't work out because they're not, they're not going to keep playing it because they already are doing whatever their thing is. Yeah. So we're Mm -hmm. just sort of, that makes sense. Casting a wide net, I guess. And Mm -hmm. seeing who comes in. Um, And I think that's how we attract a self identity thing. People want Mm -hmm. to do the thing that, People, you know, they, they identify with this person or that person and they want to emulate them. And I, I think that's important. I don't know. It's a complicated question. I like to ask the tough questions, Penny. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to be like, you're a girl. You should play the guitar. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. kind of sending in obnoxious too. So, yeah, it's interesting, like trying to weigh that, like how much you're like, because I get to your I, to your point around like finding people that makes a lot of sense to me because I do feel like I've seen that happen a lot where people are like you know here's your signature whatever model or like you know feature like featuring this person playing this instrument that they, is different than what they normally play and right. then they just don't actually play it so right. it's like that kind of defeats the purpose but yeah but then like figuring out ways to highlight people who are and who are maybe like a little outside of the demographic that you, you know, that you would normally see featured, right. then that's useful. Right. Right. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, to manage that. Yeah. Cause I don't want to be like, it's hard to try not to be so, I don't know. You don't want to tokenize people. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. And I'm sure that people would appreciate not being tokenized as well. Right. So it's like, of course. Pick- right. So it's like, are you picking this person out because of their identity? Are you picking them out because they're actually like, you're into what they're doing? Right. And how do you like start with that and then like backtrack? Right. So it's like right. finding yeah. the people who are like doing the cool stuff and then being like, how do we bump up the people who are doing the cool stuff that maybe aren't white dudes, white cis dudes? Right. Right. And as far so you have so Michelle and Cello has an artist model. What was the process mm-hmm. like working with her on that? I'm not the designer. But, That's fine. Um, so yeah, <laughs> but I know she's she's a wonderful player and a wonderful human. You know, she knew what she wanted, yep. which was great. She yep. played one of our bases originally, and then we saw her in Ann Arbor at a show, and she was like, "Oh yeah, let's do this, 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 this," and then it became you know design it and prototype it. And then we had to like get her to answer emails. <laughs> that was the hardest thing. I feel like that's a very common thread with a lot of musicians too. Though. I, probably so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Jen Wozner also has a model as well. Yes. She, she bought a, a model similar to what she got for her signature guitar Yeah, at a regular store. And people mm-hmm. started tagging us in like, did you see this? Here's a picture. Here's a video here. You know, why mm-hmm. is amazing. They're incredible. And so there Ken did reach out, but she already had it. Right, right, right. So, yeah. and then she was working with another artist, April Camlin mm-hmm. to design sort of a stage where I hesitate to call it a costume. It's not really a costume, but just out, you know, yeah. And, and a whole like design aesthetic around her music and she wanted to know if we could put it on the guitar and Joe Naylor, our designer and his daughter, Lindsay Naylor, who is also a graphic designer sort of took what April sent them and made it fit the guitar. And that's why her guitar is that black and white. It's sort of so cool. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. It's so cool. (laughs) When I met you originally at NAMM, I mentioned, and I kind of raved about your like short scale bases. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about those a little bit for folks? We do the Mike Watt signature, which is a short scale bass um, based on his EBO bass that he is known for playing. But really with 
all of the bells and whistles that he wanted mm-hmm. on it. We're just big fans and wanted to do that with him and worked with Ron Ashton and the Stooges for years and mm-hmm. years and years. He was our first signature artist. And so Mike and Ron were good friends. And so that was like sort of a natural family kind of yeah. thing. But he likes the short scale bass. And so we started that. And then Brad Hauser from Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. We did a signature model with him years ago when the guitars were different. They were phenolic back and sides with a kind of a plastic mm-hmm. core or a plastic rim and a Karina wood core. Mm-hmm. And we did a bass with him and he wanted to do something and he wanted it to be, let's see, it's an odd size because it's not long scale and it's not really short scale. It's like in the middle. So I think a, sh- a standard scale is like, or long is like 34 and a short scale is like 30 yes. or 30 and a half or something. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So Brad's is 30, 32. Or something. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know why, but he wanted to do that. And so we designed the base around that. And then we also came out with the Sentinel, which is a 30 mm-hmm. scale, 30 yeah. scale. And that's not a signature model, but it's a single pickup and got the ridge down the center for extra mass. Mm-hmm, oof. Mm-hmm. Just because really it's just sort of to pick up and go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And those are like a P style, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I love those bases. They're so beautiful. <laughs> and I got to play Thank one at NAM briefly and I was real psyched about that. So I'd love to hopefully Good. locally we'll get one here again and I'll get I'll get a chance to try it out. But I, I've tried the original Mike Watt Good. locally at our uh our local shop that carries uh Reverend, which is Empire Guitars. And yeah, oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. So I played the Mike Watt over there. What's can you explain the difference between the original Mike Watt and the new edition of the Mike Watt? Yeah, well, the original one has one yep. pickup. And the new one has three pickups. Oh, there's three. There's a, um, like a pit bull humbucker mm. at the mm-hmm. neck. And then there's two staggered. <laughs> it's like a very interesting, like a, interesting layout. They're, they're yeah. Like re- yeah. Cause they're like reverse staggered. Weird. Okay, cool. And then, and then you can switch between just the bridge pickup, the bridge and the mid pickup, or just the pit bull humbucker. Cool. So it, you get sort of these various yeah. tones. Yeah, I'm psyched to try that one out, yeah. like in a in a non uh, Nam setting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I that thing is cool. But yeah, I feel Thank like uh, I I think people just don't spend enough time talking about short scale bases, and it's I I think of it, and I saw somebody else writing about this recently about short scale bases as like an accessibility issue too. Oh, yeah, because it's like some people just like physically can't you know get their hands. To, to extend that way or maybe they're, they're like a person has some sort of specific disability that like that reaches too much or can hurt their arms or mm-hmm. their shoulders or something which is really interesting to think about too well well mike has carpal oh, tunnel oh okay yep and so he you know holding the regular bass for all night long mm-hmm. on stage is not easy for him so he likes the and i don't know what it is about reaching way out there but there's yeah. something so he likes the compactness of it and it's just easier on his joints. And- that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I had been a person that played a short scale for a long time and then I was playing standard scale. And now I've gone back to the short scale again because it's just like, it's just comfier for me, but I don't know. Yeah. I guess people used to think of them as student bases. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Which, you know, they don't have to right. be. Why? You know, I, but that's a whole other thing to unpack, oh, yeah, I guess. Oh yeah. The student model. Yeah the class issues with that and like accessibility with that, like financial accessibility, which I don't know. Yeah. Getting back to the thing around, 
around bases too, I guess with the short scale too, thinking about the way that you all have like the, the raised bit in the middle. What do you, what do you, the mm-hmm. what, what do you call it again? Just a raised center, raised ridge. center ridge. And so that means mm-hmm. that it's like beefier, right? In the middle. Yeah. Because the, it, it is a little thicker mm-hmm. there than a regular base. And then the wings sort of vibrate more mm-hmm. a little bit because they're not held to this center mass thing. They're sort of mm-hmm. do their own thing. And it gives the whole thing more resonance and more, I, I keep saying, <laughs> but I, I, think I, I know that's is, not a technical term. I think term. oomph makes sense for people. I think it's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm thinking about that even with regard to like weight, right? So if you have an instrument mm-hmm. that's really heavy, yeah. uh, because like if you yeah. had the whole bass that was that thick, if you're like playing like a, a PBT-40 right. or something like that, those like super yeah. heavy but you're able to get yeah. some of the like sustain and whatever or oomph out of that little yeah. raised ridge without it having to be right. a trillion pounds. Right. But you still get like the, the resonance and shimmer that goes on when the wood vibrates, right. like, because it's going to vibrate all the way out yeah. to the outer edges of yeah. the base, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that was just something I was thinking about as well. So, but I think about that as far as like trying to keep things not super heavy. So people aren't dying while they're holding your instrument. Who was it? Was it, Brian May, who said that he had serious, serious problems recently because oh, of holding a heavy guitar. That, well, because he had like, I, didn't I read something where he like pulled his butt muscles or something while he was gardening? Oh, <laughs> this yeah, is, I think uh, this is an too, unrelated like, thing. <laughs> unrelated thing. No, I think he. Had, I, I actually he had, like, came to this problems. conversation to talk about Brian May's butt muscles. That's that's why we're here today. Uh, <laughs> That's why I kept seeing that come up in my newsfeed. I was like, how is this a conversation we're having right now? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I guess it's something just to, everybody wants to escape. That's right, exactly. And they, you know, they're escaping the Brian Mays butt muscles. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I, I think he had, he had like heart mm. problems because of the weight on his shoulder. Oh, wow. And he's fine, but he, it was just so much, yeah. you know, I after years and years and years. And I've never played. And it's a yeah, real thing. I've never actually played a Brian May guitar. I can't remember the model. It's his, it's own, his own thing, thing. right? I, but I remember I yeah. read something recently about how his original guitar was like made out of like whatever wood was like in his house and weighed a trillion pounds or whatever. Yeah. So I'm guessing that it's yeah. pretty heavy. Yeah, he and his dad made it together, which is yeah, deep. that's really cool. But probably yeah. doesn't uh, you know lend itself to a light instrument. <laughs> no. So Brian May, I hope you're feeling better, friend. <laughs> thinking more on the business side of things like do you have any any ways to speak to that for like folks like who might want to get into doing that as their work you just got to jump in you just got to learn as much as you can do as much as you can and you know keep going and don't let anybody tell you you can't do it Mm -hmm. because there will be people who will tell you oh this isn't for you but you just got to let that let them go let them go be stupid by themselves (laughs) you know and just keep doing what you're Mm -hmm. doing I don't know. I don't know how to explain it better than that. But there were, I mean, there were many times when people would be like, oh, honey, you know, like, are you sure that's you really, are you really into this? Are you really doing this? You just have to let them, let them go, mm-hmm. you know, just don't let that even into your sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like we've gone from a Brian May's butt muscles into a Disney princess song. So I like that transition. <laughs> <laughs> let it go. Let it go. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> it's a it is a real thing and I feel like it's a skill that people have to develop right it is mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, I used to take everything to heart mm-hmm. like that and just get so upset and you just can't do that you just 
you know, there are toxic people out there, but you don't have to let them take over your brain. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced particular, like, are there particular spaces where you've seen this be more of an issue, like with regard to particular roles that you've had in your work or not, or space? I mean, here in the building and nobody's, everybody's very cool here in the building. That's not an issue at all. But, you know, going out and dealing with the public, it's the public. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have people who are one in 20, one in 15, one in 100. I don't know. But you're going to have the occasional person that's going to come up and say something obnoxious Mm -hmm. to you. And and I just think it's anytime you're dealing with the public, that's... (laughs) Where it people is, you know? are people, and that's just what it is. Yeah, that's yeah. just what it is. If we could get a percentage uh, nailed down, though. I feel like that would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> it would, because then I would be like, "I talk to you, I talk to you, I talk to you." Oh, you're gonna be a jerk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're on. scooting on. Uh, <laughs> that would make things easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It would. Uh, as far as like internally, how many how many staff do you all have? There's ten, ten of us. Yeah, and mm-hmm. as far as like how you create the environment there how you manage issues of like gender and diversity there like how does how do you how do you manage that internally I mean we don't really like have a program that we you know obviously if people cross a line we're like you're crossing yeah. a line back it off you know but it we're all very casual mm-hmm. here so it's easy to I feel like it's easier to be like that's that nice don't do that anymore like immediately right. you know you don't have to like go through channels and you don't have to have a reporter anything like that people just you know and it happens so rarely it's just I I, it's something we'll have to address as we get bigger yeah it's interesting because I think you're right like when you a smaller group like that everybody's so like Mm -hmm. you become very friendly and and casual right and so it's like trying to figure out how you know because then sometimes if people really trust each other in that way like right like so if you people trust each other that like when you're saying something that you didn't mean mean to be terrible that you can say something to them about it and that they then you know aren't gonna freak out about it either like they're not gonna you know right that you right. can have that conversation and have it not blow up right yeah nobody's really a hothead here or anything like that people are just everybody's pretty chill and yeah. it is interesting well I was just gonna say I think it is the thing where it's like people start to scoot at least what I've seen is that like when when people start to scoot up to that like 15 people, 20 people, bringing in people that you don't know as well, or maybe aren't part of like your internal circle, that that dynamic changes a little bit, which is interesting too. Right. Right. And that's sort of our thing too, is we have employees that have been part of our circle for a long Mm -hmm. time. And then we have, I mean, just socially, and then we're starting to hire people and we try to hire people outside of our social circle, but then it's always, our city is small, first of all, but then everybody sort of all knows each other and it's friendly because of that, because you're all one step, one sort step of away. This one, yeah. Y- mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Are you all working on site at the space now? Is that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except for our uh, designer, Joe Naylor, but he never yeah. does. Where is, is he based out? He's in Troy, okay. Michigan, mm-hmm. Detroit yeah. area. Okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I'm wondering if there's like, if you could make recommendations to people in the industry, like what would you want to see them doing to make change? You just got to treat everybody with respect, every single person, you know, and don't assume, don't look at them and assume, you know, what kind of music they play, what kind of instrument they play, you know, whether they're good, whether they're not good, whatever. You just have to treat everybody with respect and with like a blank Mm -hmm. slate. And that's it. I really think that that would be, that would go a long Mm -hmm. way. If everybody felt like the problem 
often is when people feel like you're getting different treatment, that you, you're getting more attention than this other person or less attention than this other person, or your people are more intellectual with this one and less with that one. And you just have to like, everybody is an equal playing field and then go from there, mm-hmm. you know, get to know them a minute. Right. Yeah. And then you can have a conversation <laughs> and then right, with, with right. wherever they're at. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's so it's, it seems like such a simple thing. It does. It does. And I, you know, I, I hesitate to be like, that's why I always think about it. Like, you know, is there something else I could be saying or something else I could be doing? But I, I really think it just boils down to the respect mm-hmm. thing. Do you do any particular training with folks who are going to be um, like either at NAM, like on the on the floor with you or anything like that to help people to, to have that viewpoint? Or is it just like you haven't needed to because people are all on board? we generally don't need to. I mean, we've had that conversation yeah. before, mm-hmm. you know, and, and more than once, yeah. but usually people are like, Oh yeah, of course, obviously, yeah. you know? So, and those are the people that we like to hire, you know, the people that are going to be open and respectful and so mm-hmm. on. Have you seen that mentality having an impact on your business? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have, it seems like we skew younger than most other guitar companies. And it seems like we skew more, at least gender diverse, if not fully mm-hmm. diverse than other guitar companies. But I think this, I think people are comfortable with us and people are comfortable coming to like our NAM booth or our, if we're at the Dallas guitar show or Philadelphia guitar show or mm-hmm. whatever, people are coming, they're comfortable coming and hanging out and having a chat. Yeah. And I think that's important. How do you think you create that environment where people feel that way? I don't know. Again, I think it's the respect yeah. thing. And I think it's the, you know, everybody matters. You you don't just look at somebody and be like, oh, they look like they're going to spend money. But I, I just think, you know, I, I'm always so impressed when I see like an artist do a signing or something like that, and they take the time to talk to every single person. And so I took that to heart early on. And I think Ken did too. We all sort of did. You have to talk to every person as much as you, as much as possible, I mean, and make a connection with every person. And so whether that's social media and really like addressing the questions people are answer, asking and, you know, answering the messages or it's out there in the world or when they call on the phone or send an email, whatever, just really starting with nice and starting with a connection. Yeah, that is nice. That is also very Midwestern. <laughs> well, I guess it is. <laughs> we made you a hot dish, and <laughs> right. Can you start having Pass hot dishes at, at at your? Uh... <laughs> yeah, can you have that at your Nam table? I'm just throwing it out yeah. there. You know how some people have like mint mints or whatever. You could just have a casserole. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> just put it. You know, put it on your list. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So how can folks stay in contact with you or hear more from you or from the company more generally? Where would you direct them? Uh, if people want to get a hold of me or us in general, any of the big three social media networks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Reverend Guitars, hashtag Reverend Guitars, or just message me. I, I'm the one who answers all the messages. So Awesome. Also, what, what is it that people can uh, look forward to see from, from Reverend coming up? Well, mm-hmm. we always have new stuff coming out. And... We have some a couple new things coming out in July mm-hmm. that we're supposed to be at Summer NAM that are kind of interesting, and then a whole bunch of really interesting things in January. Cool, hopefully. 
we were, we were, you know, in process with a whole bunch of stuff when this coronavirus right. thing happened and it kind of put a kink in all of our works, but we always have new stuff coming out, new colors, new finishes, new stuff. Yeah. Cool. So I, you can just follow us on Facebook and you'll see new stuff all the time. That's fabulous. So thank you so much for taking the time today, Penny. Well, thank you for interviewing me. Of course. All right. Thanks. All right. It was super fun talking to Penny. I particularly liked hearing more about their process for endorsements and more about like some of the specifics of her role at Reverend. It's fascinating to me. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I just I just love hearing about it. Uh, And definitely check out more about Penny and Reverend in the show notes if you have a moment. So in Penny's interview, she spoke a bit about the fact that Reverend is a small company and everyone knows each other so that like if something tough comes up, they can talk about it. That to me connected a lot to some of the conversations I've been having having recently with companies. And it really feels like everywhere I go, this topic is coming up. And I, I recently ran some workshops on communications and conflict management. And it was so clear to me how connected these issues are to trust and psychological safety and like relatedly how important those things are to a company's ability to make change around gender and diversity. And so like when thinking about creating a workplace where like hard, uncomfortable conversations can happen, you have to have trust. And and trust is an individual thing, right? Like between two people. So in this case, probably two coworkers or an employee and a boss or a supervisor. Psychological safety, on the other hand, is the trust that everyone has of the workplace as a whole. So like whether it feels like a space that is safe to bring up issues or problems that might arise, right? So like it's trust of the space or trust of the environment. So Many issues like this come up for companies when there's like this lack of trust and psychological safety, right? So, and there's just so many, so many different ways this can be a problem, right? So people don't get along, they can't talk to each other, they're having issues with communication, and then that like can really just turn into a really intense conflict. And and so conflict in and of itself isn't bad, There can be healthy conflict, and part of that is just the way you think about it. But there are many ways, and I will add that, like, in many ways, white supremacy and toxic masculinity are also wrapped up in our fear of conflict and, like, uh, the way that we think about it. But that's for another podcast, so we'll save that. But, you know, however, in, in order to have the healthy conflict, in order to get uncomfortable, talk about hard things like maybe telling someone that they said something that hurt you or that was offensive, you need to be able to get vulnerable. And for them to receive that information, they need to be vulnerable. And there needs to be trust between the two individuals that this will not like break their relationship and that it will be taken seriously, right? And there needs to be a psychological safety in the space to know that overall it will be dealt with appropriately if necessary. So if folks don't have that trust and psychological safety, then these conversations 
they, they either won't happen or they'll just go nowhere at all, which might lead to, you know, a general decrease in employee morale, an increase in turnover, uh, you know, losing people who really, you know, should be there. And that is a bummer for everyone involved. And, you know, there are many different ways that you can build trust, but it isn't something that just like happens automatically. It doesn't magically appear. It has to be really intentional. And that intentionality is especially important when your group is like not totally homogenous, for example, or you would eventually like it to not be homogenous and would like it to be more diverse. And I think this comes up a lot too when organizations or companies are like really growing quickly and lots of new people are coming in, right? So any of those situations that can be particularly important. Okay, that's it for today. If you enjoy the podcast and you want others to hear it, please rate and review it in Apple Podcasts. There's a link to the show notes for that to make it easy. I really, really appreciate it. And I really, really appreciate you for listening. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.